So Genesis chapter 44, starting reading at verse 18. This is God's word. Then Judah came near to him and said, O my Lord, please let your servant speak a word in my Lord's hearing, and do not let your anger burn against your servant, for you are even like Pharaoh. My Lord asked his servants, saying, Have you a father or a brother? And we said to my Lord, We have a father, an old man, and a child of his old age who is young. His brother is dead, and he alone is left of his mother's children, and his father loves him. Then you said to your servants, Bring him down to me, that I may set my eyes on him. And we said to my Lord, the lad cannot leave his father, for if he should leave his father, his father would die. But you said to your servants, unless your youngest brother comes down with you, you shall see my face no more. So it was when we went up to your servant, my father, that we told him the words of my Lord. And our father said, go back and buy us a little food. But we said, we cannot go down if our youngest brother is with us. Then we will go down, for we may not see the man's face unless our youngest brother is with us. Then your servant, my father, said to us, you know that my wife bore me two sons. And the one went out from me and I said, surely he is torn to pieces and I have not seen him since. But if you take this one also from me, and calamity befalls him, you shall be bringing down my grey hair with sorrow to the grave. Now, therefore, when I come to your servant, my father, and the lad is not with us, since his life is bound up in this lad's life, it will happen when he sees that the lad is not with us, that he will die. So your servants will bring down the grey hair of your servant, our father, with sorrow to the grave. For your servant became surety for the lad to my father, saying, if I do not bring him back to you, then I shall bear the blame for my father, before my father forever. Now, therefore, please let your servant remain instead of the lad as a slave to my Lord and let the lad go up with his brothers For how shall I go up to my father if the lad is not with me? Lest perhaps I see the evil that would come upon my father. Amen. We end our passage there and thank God for this reading from his truth. We're going to pray and ask for God's help to understand it. Let's pray together. Our gracious God, you and you alone are the one true and living God and we thank you that you speak to us that you have spoken through your word and that you speak to us when it is read and especially when it is preached and so we pray for your help today because you are living and true that by the power of your Holy Spirit you would help us to understand that you would give us faith to believe and strength and courage to live out what you're teaching us from your word today. We pray these things 
in the name of your Son and our Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, I'm sure that I have told you before um, about my GCSE maths teacher, Mr. Scott. I'm sure I told you about him before. He was a, a wonderful man, not only because he, he had a fantastic ginger beard, uh, but he was also a great maths teacher. He's probably a large reason why I developed a love for maths and went into teaching it myself. And I, I really think you all would have liked Mr. Scott. He was very clever, but at no point did he come across as superior. He was a maths teacher during the day and went home in the evening and kept a, a small farm on the family land. In many ways, he lived a good life. A few pigs, a couple of sheep, some chicken and ducks. Many of his teaching illustrations, therefore, came from the farmyard. And one of them was this, and I'm sure I've used this before. When he was speaking about the many, many exams and tests that young people have to do these days, he was heard to say, you don't make a pig fatter by weighing it. You make a pig fatter by feeding it. You don't make a pig fatter by weighing it. You make a pig fatter by feeding it. I love the sentiment of that. It maybe strikes a chord. Isn't it simply better to feed the children? To feed our children, to to teach them. And forget about all this assessment and testing that they have to go through. But the truth is, and you can speak to some of the many teachers that we have in the congregation, they will likely tell you that testing is actually necessary to provide a basis for teaching. It's important to know where a child's knowledge is so that you can teach them in an informed way. Testing does not make a child smarter but it does reveal what they already know. As I always said to my pupils, if they were feeling nervous about a test or exam, I would always say, don't worry. This is just an opportunity to show off how smart you are. And that's what testing does. Testing reveals to us what's on the inside. It shows us what's already there. And you know, it's very much the same with our Christian character. There are many tests and trials that we will have to face as Christians. The Bible makes this clear to us. The book of 1 Peter in the New Testament compares the testing of our faith to the testing of gold by fire. Testing reveals true gold from false or fake gold. And so it is with testing in the Christian life. Testing actually reveals to us the genuineness of our faith. It proves that faith is not false or fake. It proves that faith is real and genuine if it's in the Lord Jesus. God doesn't need to test us to know where our faith is. But often he tests us so that we can see where our faith is. Testing is something God uses and allows to show us that he is at work in our lives. 
and that he is changing us by the power of the Holy Spirit. Testing is a necessary part of being one of God's people because it reveals to us that we are indeed Christ's sheep and not one of the goats. And so what I find really interesting in this story from the life of Joseph is not actually what it tells us about Joseph. I think in this story something is revealed about Judah. And it comes forth from the testing. The the narrative lasts over four chapters. And Judah is shown through serious and severe testing to be the leader among the sons of Jacob. That's interesting to us for a few reasons. One might be that we don't expect this from Judah. Any of you who were at the midweek where we looked at chapter 38 or maybe you've read it in your own time. You'll know that Judah is an absolute scoundrel. Judah is a scumbag of a man. And so we've probably written him off. But we wouldn't expect Judah to be the leader among these brothers. There are other candidates. What about Reuben, the eldest? We saw Reuben seek to lead his brothers way back in Dothan when they beat Joseph and threw him in a pit. But Reuben failed as a leader because Joseph was indeed sold off into slavery. The other prime candidate is Joseph himself. And so it's so interesting that through this story, Joseph doesn't emerge as the leader among the brothers. Judah does. And so as strange as it may seem to those who know the story of Judah and Tamar, Judah is actually the one in this story who points us to Jesus. Do you have your Bibles open? We're going to look at this story and see what is revealed from Joseph testing his brothers and how we might learn to face testing in our own lives. We're going to start right back in chapter 42. The passage that we did read from chapter 44 is is a a summary passage of the whole story. But where are we? Well, we've heard in, in recent weeks there is a famine in the land. A famine in the land of Egypt. But not only in Egypt, the famine is also in the land of Canaan, where Joseph's brothers and father and their family are living. And so when he sees that there is food in Egypt, Jacob, Joseph's father, sends his family, sends his sons down to buy food for the entire family. Ten of the brothers went. Benjamin stayed behind. Remember that Benjamin is Joseph's full brother. They have the same mother, Rachel, whom Jacob loved. And so having lost one son of this wife and Joseph, Jacob is keeping Benjamin close. And so out of the 12 brothers, 10 go down to Egypt. Joseph recognised them immediately, but they did not recognise him. And so as his brothers bow in front of this leader in Egypt, Joseph remembers that dream. The dream he had so many years ago that had taken a long time to be fulfilled. But nonetheless, because God doesn't make mistakes, here are his brothers bowing down to Joseph and he has full control over them and their futures and so Joseph decides to test them and he accuses them of being spies 
And this leads to a lot of questions. Joseph tries to find out if they will tell him the truth. And and he draws some things out of them about their father and their youngest brother. For whatever reason, Joseph fixes on this detail about the youngest brother. And he desires to have Benjamin come to Egypt as well. Chapter 42, verses 15 and 16. Joseph says, by this manner you shall be tested. By the life of Pharaoh, you shall not leave this place unless your youngest brother comes here. Send one of you and let him bring back your brother. And you shall be kept in prison that your words may be tested to see whether there is any truth in you or else by the life of Pharaoh, surely you are spies. And so you see what's happening here through testing the truth will be revealed. Joseph is pretty clear about this. He, he accuses them of being spies and when they deny it, he wants to know how far are they willing to go to prove the truth of their story. Testing reveals the truth. Testing reveals the truth. And so often that is the case with us. The truth of our faith is revealed through testing. We cannot claim to be Christians and then ignore the fundamental things that are true about Christians. Sometimes we need to be tested. And there is actually a formal process for this in the church. We test someone's faith through the communion classes, membership classes that I've been advertising over the last month or so. Through that process, which will include a a chat with the elders, the Kirk session make a reasonable judgment about someone's faith. And that's how testing might look for us. We might be unsure of our faith. You might be asking that question, am I really saved? You might wonder how strongly you trust in Christ. And it might simply be that that through discussion with me as your minister or with one of the elders, that we would be able to say to you, do you know what, I I think your faith is genuine. We can try and give you some assurance that, yes, indeed, you are born again. You're exhibiting fruit of, of repentance. You've been saved. You're one of Christ's people. And the membership process in the Presbyterian Church is a, a formal way of doing that. And it's recognised by taking vows and and coming into communicant membership. But that's not the only type of testing, is it? Sometimes God tests his people so that your faith can be revealed to you. This might be through something that happens in your life. Maybe the death of a loved one or a particular sickness. Where do you look for hope in those times? That's a way of testing your faith, isn't it? And it shows you, it reveals to you that it is in fact in Jesus Christ. Or if it's not, it might be in an idol. Equally, our faith can be tried, tested through temptation. What are you tempted to? What about keeping the Lord's day? Is that a test? That you might fail because your faith in Jesus is not genuine. What about not taking the Lord's name in vain? Would you fail that test? And so prove to yourself that you don't really love Jesus. 
You don't really want to honour him. And even, friends, when we do fall into sin, isn't that a test in itself? What are you going to do about that? When you fall into sin, will you confess your sin? Will you repent of it and receive Christ's forgiveness? Or will you ignore Jesus and sink deeper into the sin? Refusing to confess and repent. And proving to yourself that your faith is not really in Jesus, but in yourself. And so we see here that Joseph uses testing to find out the truth. And we can see what it does to them. Verses 21 and 22 of chapter 42. They said to one another, Truly we are guilty concerning our brother. It's many, many years later, but they still feel that guilt. We saw the anguish of his soul when he pleaded with us, and we would not hear. Therefore, this distress has come upon us. And Reuben answered them, saying, Did I not speak to you, saying, Do not sin against the boy, and you would not listen? Therefore, behold, his blood is now required of us. And so we see that testing not only reveals the truth, but it exposes our sin. And it leads us to remorse and repentance. At least that's what it did for these ten brothers and it can do so for us. We have seen how, how many ways, there, there's so many ways that our faith is tested. Tried to see if it's genuine. But if our faith is not genuine, if we're shown through testing that we're not trusting in Christ, if we demonstrate that we're trusting in anything or anyone else, well then we should know that testing is a good thing. Because it shows us that we should change. It shows us that we should feel sorry for our sin and that we should repent of it. Testing often exposes sin. But friends, that is a good thing. Because once the problem has been exposed, we can work towards a solution. Once the disease has been diagnosed, the cure can be applied. And so... We should be glad if our sin is exposed through testing because then we can repent of it and turn to Christ for the forgiveness that only he can give. These 10 brothers, well, they're not quite at that point yet. You have to understand where they are. They they said all of this not knowing that this man could understand them. They didn't even know that this man is Joseph. And they didn't know that they could find forgiveness for what they've done. Well, the story takes them back to Canaan and, and Simeon is left behind in the prison as a deposit, guaranteeing their return. On their journey home, they find that the money they paid for the grain is actually still in their sacks. As we read, we, we know that that's because Joseph ordered it to be put back. But the brothers didn't know this. They are being tested again. What will be revealed about them? Will they be honest? Will they show their integrity? Well, actually not yet. They they get back to their father, Jacob. And he's glad to see them. And no doubt he's glad to have the grain. But they actually bring more trouble than good. They return with this tale of how harsh the leader in Egypt was to them. 
They have seemingly stolen the money back which they owed for the grain. And they come with a request to bring Benjamin back down to Egypt. It's not really a good day for Jacob. It's not what he was hoping for. Chapter 42, verse 36. You can see what Jacob thinks of the whole thing. Jacob, their father, said to them, You have bereaved me. Joseph is no more. Simeon is no more. And you want to take Benjamin? All these things are against me. At this point, we see Reuben, the eldest, try to step up. But interestingly, his offer of his own sons in the place of Benjamin is not accepted. And so we begin to see through this testing that the leadership of the family is not going to pass to Reuben. In the next chapter, we see Judah come to the fore. He eventually convinces his father that Benjamin should travel back with them to Egypt so they can return the money, so they can rescue Simeon and hopefully get more grain. Chapter 43, verses 8 and 9, Judah says this, Send the lad with me, and we will arise and go, that we may live and not die, both we and you and also our little ones. I myself will be surety for him. From my hand you shall require him. If I do not bring him back to you and set him before you, then let me bear the blame forever. I think here we can see Judah as a type of Christ. He offers himself in Benjamin's place. He stands in the gap and he says that his life is the surety for Benjamin's life. You'll notice that's not what Reuben did. Reuben offered his sons in Benjamin's place. But Judah offers his own life. And so we see Judah as a type of Christ. He shows us what it is to lay down your life for the sake of another. And while Judah won't actually die in Benjamin's place, his willingness is to be self-sacrificial for the love of his brother and the love of his father. And this prefigures Christ, who because of the love of his people and the love of his father, went to the cross to die in our place, showing his great love for us. And so Jacob agrees with heartbreak. He says in verse 14, If I am bereaved, I am bereaved. And so the brothers travel once again down to Egypt with various gifts. They go with the money that they must return. They go with twice the price of the grain and they go with their youngest brother, Benjamin. I, I said we're, we're going to come back to this story in a few weeks' time. So I want to just note a few things before we finish. Whenever the brothers get to Egypt, once again Judah steps up. There is another test, this time with Joseph's silver cup. But the test only reveals further that Judah is now the leader of the family. and He is the one who most clearly points us to Christ. He stands in the place of his younger brother, who had the sack that the cup was found in. Judah intercedes on Benjamin's behalf. 
just as Christ does for us. He stands between us and the Father. He claims us for his own. Our older brother gifts us his righteousness and his salvation. Not through ourselves, but through the Lord Jesus. Once again, we see that testing and trial is not to be despised. So if you're going through a testing time at the minute, if you're going through a time of difficulty, don't despise that. Because it reveals to us things which are of benefit. There will be times of testing in our lives, especially for those of us who are Christians. But we shouldn't despise it. We should embrace it. And we should grow as a result of the testing, just as Judah did. Testing reveals to us the truth. It exposes our sin. And it points us to the salvation we can only have through Jesus. And so we should look to him today, the one who is the truth, the one who forgives our sin, and the one who stands in our place, interceding with the Father and bringing us salvation through his grace and his mercy. Let me pray for us.